Northwestern and University of Chicago move up in rankings of startup founders. And I'll talk with Crane's reporter Lee John Greco about asylum seekers in Chicago. The mayor said on Friday, basically, that housing migrants in the police stations was never an ideal situation and that his idea was to house people with dignity. The administration's idea of that is putting these tents all over the city. And they're not the types of tents that you might see popping up across the city that are housing unhoused people right now. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, September 13th. Want some wins? Wintrust Community Banks is proud to be ranked number one in customer satisfaction in personal banking in Illinois by J.D. Power. That's one win, and that's for the second year in a row. That's a win-win. And you can now earn even more interest with Wintrust's new savings rates. That's a win-win-win. To get your savings some wins, visit Wintrust.com slash LockNewRates. That's Wintrust.com slash LockNewRates. Members FDIC. For J.D. Power 2020. Award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. According to figures released during a public meeting over the last week, the city of Chicago has provided resources to more than 13,500 asylum seekers since governors from Texas and other southern border states started sending buses full of people into the city last August. Crane's reporter Lee John Greco has been reporting on the topic and joins me now. Thanks, Amy. So talk to me about this. You reported that almost 7,000 people of those new arrivals are housed in temporary shelters and almost 2,000 are waiting for spots in police stations and at staging areas at the two airports. And over the last week, Mayor Johnson has talked about plans to help deal with the situation. What all does that entail? So like you mentioned right now, uh, there are migrants housed across the city in shelters um, and then the police stations as well and at O'Hare and Midway. Um, And what's happening is, uh, especially with the police stations, that has become uh, a real point of contention because over the summer, there were allegations of sexual misconduct at at least two of those police stations. So migrants were removed from them while that investigation was going on. Then in August, uh, news broke that migrants were back at those police stations again. And essentially at the time, the city had said, we don't have enough space uh, for all these people. That's why they're there right now. So this push for these tents now is really coming out of that. The mayor said on Friday, basically, that housing migrants in the police stations was never an ideal situation. It was something that he inherited from the previous Lightfoot administration, um, and that his idea was to house people with dignity. But then the administration's idea of that is putting these tents all over the city. And they're not the types of tents that you might see popping up across the city that are housing unhoused people right now. You know, those small orange tents, almost like a souped up version of what you might get at REI. These are giant tents. This is at least uh, what I've seen from the slides uh, that were shared with me that were presented on Friday to aldermen. They almost look like football field size tents. And so the plan is to put migrants in these winterized tents. That would start basically as soon as possible. The administration 
notes uh, that they want to put out an RFP for sheltering services. Uh, right now, that's with an out-of-state contractor that was contracted under the Lightfoot administration. Um, from what I understand from speaking with Alderman and Vasquez, uh, who is head of the Immigration Committee, um, that has been, from the city's view, quite expensive. I think it's conversations with our state partners and the governor of what it looks like to have other cities in the state also take on some capacity. So it's not okay. just Chicago taking the brunt okay. of what we're seeing here, because what yeah. we know and everybody I think generally understands is as you get between now and the Democratic Convention, mm -hmm. you're going to watch this thing scale up even more. Okay. And we have to be prepared for that. And so instead of contracting with an out-of-state contractor, the Johnson administration would like to look for community-based organizations to handle those sheltering services. So the submission deadline for that RFP is at the end of September, when we might start to see a change in who's handling those uh, sheltering services. It's probably later than that. And then when these tents would go up, I would imagine it's going to be later than that as well. So uh, you'd probably start seeing these tents pop up around Chicago when the weather is already pretty cold. Any idea of where these tents would go? So that's a big question right now. Initially, when I reported this out on Friday, aldermen were saying that it was going to require two acres uh, to erect these tents. Um, now we're hearing something a little different that, you know, the city's mission is to make sure that all 50 wards are taking on an equal burden because really the only wards that could accommodate two acres worth of tents are the ninth and 10th ward. You know, they're trying to find different space in general to help take on capacity. Uh -huh. Some for tents, but whatever they can find. It okay. has to be something that can take on 200 or more people, right? And I think okay. the more spaces of that you find, the less need you have for like these larger tents. Okay. Um, but the concern with the larger tents is... Um, kind of as you noted, right, there's not that many places around town that have that amount of space. Uh -huh. And so that, um, which I think is a very real concern, leaves it largely the south and west sides, right? right. So um, in thinking about the potential for how it leads to division, right. we've got to figure out a way to like communicate that out and find every way for every ward to take on some capacity. The ninth ward is on the far south side. That's Alderman Anthony Beals' ward. Uh, he was at a press conference on Friday where he talked about the fact that there are maybe about a dozen migrants in his ward, and he really doesn't want any more than that. Uh, some context here is that, of course, the far south side is a, a majority black ward, and historically, the wards on the far south side have been depleted of resources, or you know, the city hasn't sent as many resources down there, uh, the infrastructure isn't as good. So there's a history of basically ignoring the South Side, ignoring the Black community in Chicago. You know, a lot of aldermen there would argue that they haven't been given enough funding uh, to build their infrastructure. So then that creates this conflict between Black Chicagoans who've been here for, you know, decades and generations, and now a new community of people. And they're saying, well, we've been asking for resources for generations now, and you're going to give it to these other people that have just shown up. So uh, I think that's what's also behind this push about 
housing about 200 or so people in each ward rather than just pushing, you know, a thousand or 2000 to where there's a lot of vacant space, which does tend to be on the South side where, uh, you know, it's just not as dense as, you know, some of your North side neighborhoods. Yeah, certainly. And, and there was also a push uh, to, to expedite work authorizations. What's the latest there? So the work authorizations is tricky because uh, I was talking with Senator Durbin about this on Friday, and he was saying that there are essentially uh, three tiers of people, um, and it breaks down to and essentially people who came here legally, uh, and then people who uh, you know have appointments made, uh, and they can eventually get permits, and then this third tier um, are people who came here illegally. And then they try and seek asylum. Um, but then when you seek asylum, you end up in this 150-day period where you still can't work. Um, and so what Durbin and other senators have asked for from the Biden administration um, is to bring back uh, this temporary protected status for Venezuelan and Nicaraguan immigrants, uh, which represent the majority of migrants who are coming to some of these blue cities like Chicago right now. There are, of course, migrants uh, from elsewhere, uh, you know, even from Africa and the Middle East. Um, but really, we're seeing a lot from Venezuela and Nicaragua. So that's why uh, the senators are asking to um, bring back this temporary protected status um, that would basically allow them to get to work faster. Uh, from the administration's point of view, uh, the Biden administration, that is, not the uh, Johnson administration, just to be clear here, um, from the president's point of view, uh, they are worried that if they give these expedited work permits, that it is just going to increase migration, that um, more people from uh, you know, Central and South America are, are going to want to come into the U.S., um, the argument from some of the business community, like the hospitality industry, for instance, um, you know, restaurant industries that, hey, there's a labor shortage right now. And all these people coming here want to work. Uh, if you walk around downtown Chicago, you will um, see migrants on the street who are trying to sell candy bars. Um, you know, th they're really doing anything that they can. Um, just to get some money uh, to take care of their families. And so there are so many people asking for these work permits. Um, but, you know, the Biden administration is just stuck in a difficult place right now where uh, they don't want to attract more people. They don't want to worsen uh, the migrant crisis. Um, and then, of course, hey, we're in an election year, too. Um, and this this is obviously a political issue as well. They don't want to make it seem like they are, uh, you know, easy on the border, uh, so to speak. And so talk to me about funding uh, in the city. What has been tapped so far? Well, city and federal funds. What's been tapped so far? What's still on the table? And, and what is the estimate of, of what is still needed in terms of housing and caring for all of these people? So the city estimates that by the end of this calendar year, they will spend over $300 million um, on this migrant response. Now, that is if they go with this tent plan that they are looking at. Um, that $300 million already includes, I believe it's about $160 million that the city has already spent 
Um, and that 116 million uh, that's already spent uh, is not just city funds. It's from a variety of revenue sources. So it's city funds, state grants, and then federal pass-through funds. Now we should note that the city already burned through $51 million that the council authorized in May. Um, when I was talking to Alderman Vasquez about this, he said that essentially uh, that accounted for about two months worth of funding. So the city is going through 20 or $25 million a month on this. Uh, so that gives you a sense of uh, how much they would spend from now uh, until the end of December. Um, and then, of course, we have on the congressional level from, you know, the Illinois delegates, uh, they're asking for more money. Uh, last week, I reported that Congresswoman Delia Ramirez uh, was looking to get more funds from the Department of Homeland Security uh, in their appropriations budget. Problem right now, uh, the congressional level is if you're seeking money from the federal budget, that's all held up because it's likely that there's going to be a federal government shutdown. Uh, so that could happen, or uh, Congress could pass uh, what's known as a CR, a continuing resolution. So it's tough to rely on federal dollars because that's all gummed up at the federal level right now. So lots of, lots of pieces still kind of up in the air here. What will you be keeping an eye on most just in the next week or two? Uh, well, you know, I'm curious where they are going to put these tents. Um, if it does end up being uh, spread evenly throughout each ward, uh, what buildings are they going to use? Um, my colleague Danny Ecker reported uh, last week as well on a building on Ogden that is going to be used to house migrants. So I'm curious as to, you know, whether private interests are going to step in and help, uh, because it doesn't seem really like there is enough public land here uh, to house all these people. Uh, so I think really uh, where where all these people end up is the big question. And then, of course, like you just asked, uh, about finances. Where's the money going to come from? Um, you know, how will the state government step in? But really, it does seem like the federal government is going to have to step in here. And so just curious as to where those grants are going to come from and how soon they're going to get to the city of Chicago. Yeah, certainly. Well, lots of things to talk about down the road. So I hope you'll come visit again and unpack them for us. But thanks so much for swinging through today. Yeah, thank you, Amy. Coming up, federal funding kickstarts the Redline extension. We'll talk about that and more right after this. The Greater Chicago Food Depository, Chicago's Food Bank, is on a mission to end hunger. But the need is still above pre-pandemic levels. One in five households in our community is experiencing food insecurity, and families with children are at greatest risk. September is Hunger Action Month, so help your neighbors by donating today. The Greater Chicago Food Depository, chicagosfoodbank.org. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Northwestern University and the University of Chicago moved up in PitchBook's annual ranking of MBA programs for producing founders of venture-backed companies. 
Crane's John Fletz reported that Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management improved from ninth to sixth place, edging out U of C's Booth School of Business, which cracked the top 10 by moving to seventh from 11th place in last year's rankings. The rankings are based on the number of alumni who have founded companies that have received venture capital funding in the previous decade. Pletz also reported that the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign was the top local performer in the undergraduate ranking, but it slipped a notch to 15th place. Northwestern was 25th and U of C was 68th. University of Michigan was the top performing Big Ten school in the undergrad ranking at 8th. Pletz also noted in reporting that Northwestern had the highest local ranking for women undergraduate founders at 16th place, followed by U of I at 25th place and U of C at 49th place. Northwestern ranked number five for female MBA founders, followed by U of C at number eight. Stanford University topped the rankings for most undergraduate, graduate, and female founders, but it was second behind Harvard University in the MBA ranking for both men and women. As Sterling Bay wraps up construction on one 29-story apartment building in the Fulton Market District, it's proposing another just a few blocks away. Crane's Danny Ecker reported that the developer is planning a 390-unit apartment tower rising 29 floors at 370 North Carpenter Street, according to a zoning application set to be introduced to the city council this week. The project would redevelop a site along the south side of Kinsey Street between Carpenter and Aberdeen, which today is home to a more than 10,000-square-foot building Sterling Bay has owned since 2013. In addition to a 29-story building at 160 North Morgan Street that Sterling Bay is completing, which is expecting to see its first tenants move in next month, the company's also on track to complete a 28-story Fulton Market apartment building at 225 North Elizabeth Street early next year. And it recently won city council approval for a mixed-use residential building rising 40 stories along the corridor's western edge at 1300 West Carroll Avenue. As for the new proposed building on Carpenter Street, Ecker noted in reporting that Sterling Bay wants to build an apartment building along the northern edge of the Metro tracks running through the neighborhood, just one block north of Google's Midwest headquarters. The project would include 156 parking spaces and nearly 6,700 square feet of ground floor retail space, according to the zoning application. Sterling Bay paid $4 million for the property in 2013, just months after it announced it would redevelop the Fulton Market Cold Storage Building at 1000 West Fulton Street into a massive office for Google. The developer has primarily used the building as offices to house growing companies before eventually trying to move them to larger Sterling Bay properties nearby. Ecker also noted in reporting that the property is flanked by other big residential projects that are in the works. To the west, developer Trammell Crow recently kicked off a 33-story apartment building at 1112 West Carroll Avenue after landing a $125 million construction loan. To the east, New York-based Vista Property Group last month won city council approval for three apartment buildings, totaling 1,450 units at 370, 400, and 401 North Morgan Street. Arts-focused nonprofit Enrich Chicago released a survey this week looking at the effects of racial equity efforts launched after the 2020 murder of George Floyd. 
Crane's Corley J reported that the organization, which promotes racial equity in the Chicago arts and culture sector, studied how diversity efforts implemented in Chicago's arts community in the wake of protests in the summer of 2020 after Floyd's murder fared with black people, indigenous people, and people of color in that sector. The survey, called Work Remains to be Done, a baseline survey of Chicago's BIPOC arts and culture workers, had 175 non-white respondents who work in the arts who detailed their experiences related to equity efforts in their organizations. Jay noted four key findings from the survey. Non-white workers in the arts sector believe statements about the importance of equity after June of 2020 did not result in actions. Racial equity trainings are more effective for staff than for leaders. The impact on individuals varies based on race as it intersects with sexual orientation and gender. And respondents said efforts aren't visible to staff who belong to targeted communities. Nina Sanchez, director of Enrich Chicago, told Cranes, quote, There were several studies and news items in the world around the outcomes of the various statements and commitments that were being made, particularly around the time of the public murder of George Floyd, to understand what actually came of those proclamations. She continued by saying, quote, And sadly, we have seen in a lot of sectors that there hasn't been as much movement as we'd hoped. Sanchez said Enrich Chicago's study is unique in that instead of looking at how much money has been dedicated to such efforts, it looked instead at the impact and follow-through of the commitments. Jay reported that as a result of the survey, Enrich Chicago has created recommendations for its network organizations to implement actual change. According to the study, those suggestions include encouraging the development, promotion, and implementation of racial equity plans, conducting regular audits and sharing the results, having leadership committed to being at the forefront of such initiatives, and more transparency related to equity action plans, hiring practices, and salary ranges. Jay also noted in reporting that Enrich Chicago has worked with 50 arts and culture organizations since its founding in 2014. The organization has been awarded over $800,000 in grants between 2017 and 2022. Its donors include Crown Family Philanthropies, the Driehaus Foundation, the MacArthur Foundation, and the Polk Brothers Foundation. Lee John Greco reported that after languishing as a mere promise for half a century, the CTA's red line extension looks to finally become a reality thanks to an infusion of cash from the Biden administration. John Greco reported that the Federal Transit Administration designated $1.9 billion in funding from Biden's trillion-dollar Bipartisan Infrastructure Act toward the Red Line Extension Project, which will extend the CTA line 5.6 miles past 95th Street to 130th Street. John Greco pointed out in reporting that for Chicago residents living on the far south side, the extension represents a long-awaited course correction of persistent transit equity problems south of 95th Street. FTA Administrator Nuria Fernandez said during a press conference that the grant will cover half the project's cost. Four new stations will be built at sites on 103rd Street, 111th Street, Michigan Avenue, and 115th Street, as well as the 130th Street Terminal. John Greco noted in reporting that in December, City Council approved creating a new tax increment financing district that would generate $950 million over the next 30 years to help pay for the extension. Still, with most of the project's costs expected to come from federal and state government, the infrastructure grant represents a key turning point for the extension. 
as the funding will push the project into its engineering phase, which is planned for 2024, and construction is expected to last between 2025 and 2029. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's reporter, Lee John Greco. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.